following message is from North Place Church. For more information about North Place Church, visit northplacechurch.com. Last week, we launched a series of messages that we hope help us approach Easter weekend with a growing sense of momentum. And these three weekends, last weekend, today, and next weekend leading up to Easter, we're going to examine several of our Easter weekend topics from the past decade that have made the deepest impact on us as a church family. These topics are valuable because they focus on a clear presentation of the gospel. They focus on the centrality of the cross of Christ. They focus on the overcoming life in the Spirit made possible by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this journey is going to culminate on Easter weekend. And we're praying that what God does this Easter at North Place Church will be a hope-filled, life-changing, destiny-altering environment for you and your guest, because that's what the message of the resurrection is. It is a message of hope. But we've stated repetitively at North Place, I've said it just here recently multiple times, that it's a shame to wait until Easter to celebrate the hope that is made possible by the empty tomb. So we intentionally started a month early this year expressing the joy and the hope that is available to us because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So today, I want us to focus on a promise God made us through a letter that Paul wrote to the Romans. I want you to listen to this promise in Romans 8 and 11, uh, chapter 8, verse 11. And I think we read over this, but we don't fully digest the implications of this promise. And that's what I want us to do today. Romans 8, 11, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. I'm going to ask you a question, may seem odd today, but what in your life is dead or dying? And that may seem odd, but I'm not talking about physical death. I'm not talking about literal physical dying. I've performed a lot of funerals in 25 years of ministry And there are several people that I perform those funerals for that are physically dead who are more alive today than they've ever been in their life. Because of their relationship with Jesus, the moment they died was the moment they really started living. And on the other hand, I've been around a lot of people who are very physically alive. They have a pulse, but emotionally, relationally, spiritually speaking, they are all literally walking dead people. There are different kinds of death. I mean, when we talk about death, we automatically think about our heart stop beating. That's the physical death. But there are other ways to die, and one of them is an emotional death. And there are some of us in this room that are dying an emotional death. We're stressed out. We have a pulse, but we are diseased. And, and when I say diseased, I, I, I want you to put the focus on the hyphen between dis and eased. Our emotions are frayed, that we are not at ease on our inner person. We are in turmoil. We don't sleep well at night. We are distraught for one reason or another. And if we were to be honest with ourselves, we are an emotional mess. And when your emotions are frayed and you are diseased, that decay and that dying on the inside of you can literally impact the physical and the relational part of you. Emotional decay left unchecked will decay every other area of your life. You can die emotionally. You can also die relationally. It's another kind of death. Some of us in this room know what that feels like. We're mourning the death of somebody we deeply cared about. And for some of us, it's recent. I know some of our staff 
attended a funeral of one of our very valuable volunteers. Jeb lost his father, and the funeral was yesterday. And there are some of our faith family that are grieving, hurting today in their hearts because they have literally dealt with the brokenness of a relationship due to a physical death. And for some of us, that death was years ago. I mean, Anjanette's mom I talked to last night, one of the things that turned her heart bitter towards God was the death of a son. And, and it's never supposed to be where a parent buries one of their own children. And the heartache that she went through in that, there was a relational death and it affected her. There was a part of her that died. There are some of us in this room that are grieving the death of a relationship because of divorce. And maybe the death of someone we loved or the divorce we went through is recent. Maybe it happened years and years ago, but we're still living with the after effects of a relational death trying to pick up the pieces. Some of us are married and we're living with someone that we are legally husband or wife to, but the decay and the relationship has left us cohabitating. We have a business arrangement. We are living and cohabitating, but what connected us relationally years ago is no longer there. We, have, we are living in the, pos, in, in the world of a relationship dying, where we're legally married, but the feelings, the relationship is decaying and dying around us. Now, I don't know as a spouse what it is to go through a divorce, but I know what it is as a child. And I can tell you the dysfunction of my family, my father's infidelity, coming and going and leaving and returning and all of the things that led to multiple divorces with he and my mom, I know the heartache of divorce. And for those, I've been through sexual abuse and, and the abandonment of my father. And I can tell you, and those of you that have, melt, have died emotionally and those of you that are dying relationally, the pain associated with your heart hurting is worse than physical pain. For those of you that have felt that, you know what I'm talking about. But there's another kind of death, a spiritual death. There are some of us in this room that are very physically alive, but you feel separated from God. Various people for various reasons. Some of you have tried to pray, but God seems millions of miles away. Others of you call yourself Christians, or you go to church, and you go through the motions, but if you would be honest with yourself in those honest moments, you question whether or not you really know God. And some of us have had bad experience in church. We've become cynical because of all the junk that has happened, things where God didn't meet our expectations and people didn't meet our expectations. And others of us grew up in church and we learned about God in Sunday school or vacation Bible school. But somewhere along the way, our faith froze as an adolescent and we went on and grew up. And while we grew up and matured, our faith didn't. And it doesn't have the ability to bear the responsibilities of adult life and we're trying to get back engaged in church to see if there's more to faith and the little Sunday school faith that we learned about. But because of the disconnect, you're dying a spiritual death. And you need to understand this. The spiritual death is the most critical of all because the spirit part of you is what's going to live forever. And it's the death that costs the most. I don't know what kind of death is happening. I ask you the question I started out asking. What part of you is dead or dying. And with that question framing the conversation, I want to remind you of the promise of God in Romans 8:11, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, and just as God raised Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. I want you to understand what this statement implies. 
Paul says that it is entirely possible and expected that the same force and energy that raised Christ from the dead can be at work and alive in you. And if he's the God who raised Christ up, and if he's the God who has power to give life to your mortal bodies, then wouldn't he have the power to give life to whatever is dead or dying on the inside of you? A relationship, your emotions, the brokenness in your spiritual life, wouldn't he have the power to give life to that part of you? That's what the message of the empty tomb and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is all about. As we prepare our hearts to approach Easter, we need to remind ourselves that it's not a celebration of a historical event that we turned into a religious holiday so everybody can show up at church one Sunday a year and clap their hands and say, well done, Jesus. This 2,000-year-old event has relevance now. It is current in this moment because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is actively in this room and actively involved in your life, and he can quicken or give life to the decaying dead things on the inside of you. Listen to the way the Message Bible paraphrases Romans 8:11. It stands to reason, doesn't it? That if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. Now think about that for a moment, dead life. Which is it? Are you alive or are you dead? It's kind of like jumbo shrimp. What are they? Are they jumbo or are they shrimp? In grammar, it's an oxymoron. But what Paul is saying is that there are people who are physically alive, but they're dead and dying, decaying on the inside. And Paul is saying Jesus can deliver the walking dead. He can deliver those who are living the dead life. I love my grandfather beyond words and I say loved because he's preceded me into heaven I affectionately referred to him as Papa he and my grandmother took my mom and I in when my father left for the last time and never came back and my mother and grandmother and grandfather teamed up to raise me my grandfather became the father that he didn't have to be And I remember one particular drive to church. I remember a lot of them, but one in particular, like it was yesterday. I was seven years old and riding in his old Ford truck that always smelled like juicy fruit gum. My grandfather wore pinstriped overalls, and he always carried a pencil in one side. He was a carpenter, and he carried juicy fruit stick in the other side. And he always left the juicy fruit gum in his hot truck, so as the truck heated up, it always smelled like juicy fruit gum. And we passed a junkyard that day on the way to church, and we passed a salvage yard that day on the way to church, and we passed those two places every time. They weren't that far apart. And I I thought to myself on many occasions as a kid what the difference was. They looked the same, but they had different titles. What was the difference between the junkyard and salvage yard? And I had wondered that to myself, but on this particular day, I wondered out loud and asked my grandfather what the difference was between the junkyard and the salvage yard. And he, this was his reply. To the guys that run those businesses, there's really no difference. They're in the same business. One guy just calls it a junkyard. The other one calls his a salvage yard. But he said, technically, Brian, there is a difference. If you look at it technically, junk is done. It's trash. It's lost any usefulness whatsoever. But salvage 
is stuff that looks like junk to some people, but to the right person, it has value and can be repurposed. It has worth. It can be redeemed. At that time, my grandfather didn't know it, but I was living through the hell of sexual abuse as a seven-year-old kid, and nobody else knew it at the time except the abuser and myself. My grandfather didn't know that I felt like someone's trash at that particular moment. He didn't have any idea that I was living the dead life at seven years old. I got quiet in that conversation and I replied to him as I was processing deeply the thoughts about junk and salvage. And I said to my grandfather that day, Papa, I think that's the way God sees us. We think we're junk, and oftentimes other people think we're junk, but I think God sees us as salvage. And I said, Papa, if I ever were to preach a sermon, I think that's what I'm going to talk about, junk or salvage. I went on from that seven-year-old conversation and went into years of rebellion and addiction as a teenager and a lot of other stuff that I'm ashamed to talk about. But Jesus instantly and radically changed my life. And when he changed my life, he called me into the ministry pretty quick. And I remember the first sermon that I ever preached, I, I was asked to preach about what God was doing in my life. And I thought, what in the world am I going to talk about? I don't have a, I don't, I'm, I'm a kid. I was a teenager at the time. I didn't know what to say. And the Lord brought me back to that conversation. And so my first sermon as a, a young preacher was entitled Junk or Salvage. Now, 35 years removed from that boyhood conversation, I still believe that's the story of the gospel. I still believe that's the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I know it's the story of my life. God seeing value when others seeing junk and God salvaging the dead, dying, decaying, and discarded parts of our lives. That's what Jesus does for us. He delivers us from the dead life. This morning, this message is directed to and dedicated to everybody out there who needs a comeback. Those of you who have been discarded, thrown away, or junked. People look at you like you're damaged goods. This message is for you. I've been praying for you this week, leading up to this moment, believing that you would respond to the hope Jesus is offering today so that your emotions will live again, your dreams and finances will live again, your relationships will live again, that you will become spiritually alive again. I want to put it into plain English. Because he lives, you don't have to be lonely anymore. Because he lives, your dreams don't have to stay dead. Because he lives, everything that is dead or dying in you can come back to life again. I want to show you how God salvages a life. Now, if you were to start in Genesis and go all the way to Revelation, you'll find a pattern. Stories in the way Jesus dealt with people and the way the Father dealt with people in the Old Testament, you find a pattern in the way God salvages a life. There are four steps in that pattern. One of those steps is happening at this very moment. It's already happening right now. The second of those steps can happen before we leave this room today. The third and fourth steps can begin today, but they are a time-staking process. It takes time to work the third and the fourth steps. But let me talk about what's already happening. Step one is the fact he pursues us. And I believe that pursuit is on right now. When I say the pursuit is on, I'm not talking about your pursuit of God. It's the other way around. And a lot of people don't realize that. Because people think that God is up there keeping his distance because we've disappointed him so many times. And he's a distant and a mad God sitting in the corner saying, I'm over here. 
And when you decide to get it all together and come groveling your way back to me and crawl out of your misery and your shame, then I will think about taking you back. Religion has given us a bad and a wrong idea of our Creator. The Bible says just the opposite. It says that when we sin and we go hide in shame because of our sin, when we're running and hiding and blaming others because of our sin, that's when God sets out on a pursuit after us. He looks for us. He pursues with us. He gets involved in the mess of our life. And for some of you, he's been messing with you for a long time. For some of us, he's been messing with us for a couple years to try to help us get our act together. Some of us leading us to this moment today, and we've not been listening. We shut our ears to the work of God in our life. But there comes moments when he makes it so obvious that he is active in our life that we cannot deny it. And that's what he does. He pursues us. He chases us. I mean, it's revealed in the first story of the Bible. Adam and Eve fell into sin, and out of shame, they ran and hid themselves. They blew it. You know what God did? He got mad, and he went and sulked in the corner over these ungrateful brats that he had created. And the longer he sat there, the madder he got, and in his anger, he devised a plan to destroy them. No, that's not what he did. But I think that's what religion teaches us he did, and religion teaches us that he's doing. I love the fact that when Adam and Eve sinned and failed, and they ran and hid because they were ashamed, and they were blaming each other, which is what humans do. When we sin, we face shame and guilt, and then we begin to offer blame and try to excuse ourselves. What did God do? God chased after them. He went looking for them, and he asked the question, Adam, Where are you? And here is Adam's response. I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. And you know what it means when he says he's naked? I was ashamed. He had been naked all this time, but he had never been shamed. And now because he disobeyed God, shame came into his life. And when shame came into his life, he goes and hides. They hide from God because they're afraid of God. And there are some of you in this room, if you were to be honest... You came to church today, maybe you were invited as a guest and you came reluctantly, but there is something about this that brings fear to you. This is an unfamiliar environment to you, you've heard all kinds of things about church, maybe this church, whatever, that have made you afraid, and and, and out of fear, you you have this fear of God. You're going to be making buckets over the next few days, and next week we're going to have a bucket drop, and there are people that you're going to extend an invitation to who have some wrong preconceived ideas about church, wrong preconceived ideas about North Place Church, or whatever it may be, wrong preconceived ideas about God, because they're afraid of Him, the unfamiliarity and the newness of it, and we need to begin to pray about that. But for those of you that are fearful of God today, or fearful with what a relationship with Him looks like, I want you to know your fear is going to cause you to run and hide in your shame. But I can promise you this, and I don't say this as a threat to you, I say this to you out of God's graciousness, He will pace you, He will race you, He will follow you, and He will, he will be there when you finally get tired of running. Because His grace is greater than your sin. His grace is greater than your shame. He will follow you into every place that you hide. He will follow you everywhere your guilt and your shame takes you. And when you finally surrender, He will be there patiently waiting. So what does God do when He pursues you and you finally come to your senses or you finally, He gets your attention, what does He do then? Secondly, He rescues you. He pulls you out. 
He loves you, mess and all, just the way you are. Now, here's the deal. The pursuit of your life by God is happening at this moment, and it's been happening for a long time because there's nothing God wants any more than to be in relationship with you. That pursuit happens, and it's going to keep happening. But here's the difference. When he's finally got your attention, he rescues you. He pulls you out of whatever you're in, just like you are, all the junk that's attached to your life. He brings you into relationship with, your, with himself. His interest at that moment is not to fix you. His interest is to rescue you, to come into relationship with you. You see, religion says that you have to get your act together to get to God, but the gospel says you have to get to God so you can get your act together. And there is a tremendous difference between those two messages. I love the fact that God sees the awful, sinful, corroded messes that we are. And he doesn't hesitate. He doesn't blink. He doesn't reconsider. He pursues us in the middle of the mess. And he, 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 he chases after us and eventually rescues us and enjoys the whole journey because that's who he is. He's a pursuer and a rescuer. He actually wants you and he wants your mess. He wants the things nobody else wants. And he goes into the dumps and the junkyards and the forgotten attics of life because he sees value in everything else that others have thrown away, discarded, or forgotten. Listen, you will not rescue that which you do not value. That's important for you as an individual. It's important for us as a church. But it's also important for the church, the church around this country and the world. Because, listen to this, 19 out of 20 churches in America are decaying or dying. They're status quo or they're shrinking. Only 1 out of 20 churches in America is actually growing because people are coming to Christ at their church. Why? Because you will not rescue what you do not value. Too many churches value their traditions, sacred cows, and nostalgic memories of yesteryear more than they value the broken lives of people living under the shadows of their own steeple. Jesus did not give his life for creeds, confessions, and liturgies. He died and rose again to rescue broken people. He died and rose again to salvage our lives. And when our traditions get in the way of that happening, our traditions are simply in the way. You will not rescue that which you do not value. Jesus sees potential in what everybody else calls junk. He pursues what others throw away. He values you, so he pursues you and longs to rescue you. And some of us in this room need to be rescued. Forget about joining the church. Forget about becoming more religious. We, we need to get sick of life the way it is, the darkness and the mess and the corrosion. And we know that God is pursuing us. We just simply need to come into relationship with Jesus and be rescued. Let him pull us out. He pursues, he rescues, and then he restores. This is the one that doesn't happen overnight. It can begin today, but it takes time because it's a process. Restoration is where God begins to take all the junk out of our life. Little by little, layer by layer, he starts working on us making us the way he intended us to be, restoring our value. 
There are a lot of us that have been serving God. We have been pursued and rescued, but we have not fully understood restoration because we're pretenders. We're wearing a mask. And you can't be fully restored when you don't expose to God all the things that are going on below the surface. I've always dreamed of pastoring a church where pretenders feel uncomfortable, but the broken feel at home. We all have issues. We need to be honest with ourselves. We all have issues. I have issues, and I know some of you are relieved that I finally owned up to that reality because you could point out what those are. And if you don't have issues today, that's your issue. And if you're one of the ones today who don't believe you have issues, if you will identify yourself, we will begin to tell you what your issues are. And we will make Time Change Weekend National Awareness Weekend, National Issue Awareness Weekend. We'll be happy to let you know what your issues are. I've had conversations with people about other folks, and we're, you know, when they, when they walk away, you know, do they know they're jacked up? Or do they think that's normal? Because if they think that's normal, we got problems. But if they know they're jacked up, that's okay. I'm jacked up, you're jacked up. As long as they know they're jacked up. Okay. We all have issues. I want to pastor an authentic community of people who don't hide our issues. But we acknowledge our brokenness so we and anybody else that wants to join our honest journey before God can experience restoration together. A couple weeks ago, I received a, a very encouraging email from one of our small group leaders. Casey wrote in her email on the first night of their small group, for our introductions, we ask everyone to say their favorite thing about North Place, and all of our answers fell into two categories, the awesome worship and the presence of God, and number two, your authenticity. I just wanted to encourage you with that. We are, when we are vulnerable, it can be scary, but your transparency is drawing people in. Thank you for being willing and leading from the front. I hope this is encouragement to you. It was encouragement to me, and it will continue to be encouragement to me. And let me tell you one of the greatest reasons is because the number one thing those people said was not my preaching. Preaching is something I do, and I, I, I strive to be an effective communicator. I've studied, I continue to work at it, and I will till there's no longer life in me to be a more effective communicator because I believe I have a story to tell that changes people's lives. And I strive to be a good communicator. But, but there's something valuable about not being known for what you do, but being known for who you are. Because when your life is built on what you do and you can no longer do that, you lose your identity, you lose your value. But when you're working and living out of who you are, it can impact the culture of an entire church as a leader. And my heart for being known, being authentic and transparent, that's what I want the culture of this church to be known for as being authentic and being transparent. And so let me invite you, if you don't have a home church, come be a part of one going through the restoration process. If you're looking for a perfect pastor who leads a sanctimonious and a perfect people, then you're in the wrong place. But if you're looking to take a faith journey with some family members who have started out made in the image of God, who have been marred by sin, but are now in the process of being remade by grace, then you're in the right place. If a church is so perfect that people are too ashamed to talk about the broken parts of their life, the parts that are being remade by grace, the restoration part, then they are robbing the gospel of its power. When you can't talk about the broken parts of you that are being remade by grace, 
we miss the most beautiful part of the story. We rip the heart out of the story of God and the beautiful part of the story of God in your own life. He pursues, he rescues, he restores, and finally he redeems. Think about what that word means for a moment. To take something that is broken and lost, messed up, corroded, and not just pull it out of the mess, rescue it, not just restore it by taking off an exterior layer of rust and beautify it up a little bit, but when you redeem it, it means you return it to usefulness again. When you redeem it, it means you give it worth and value again. The greatest message of Christianity is not what God does for us eternity. That's important that he gives us eternal life. But another great component of Christianity is what God has the ability to do in your life right now. What he has to do, what the ability to do with what life you have left. The life that maybe you thought was over, dead, dying, or decaying. He can put life or living back in your life again. You can go from simply surviving to living. And the greatest thing a pastor ever hears is when somebody says, you know what, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, but I'm not just a Christian excited about going to heaven. Because of Jesus, I have found life now. I know my purpose, I know my identity, I know why God put me on this earth, and because of that, I've been redeemed. My life has purpose, my life has value. Most of you here know by now, Pastor Bear is not only a gifted musician and vocalist and a communicator, but he and Jill have another gift. They pursue thrown away things, wood, furniture, metal, whatever, and they find those things that people have junked, discarded pieces, and they do things to them that others obviously didn't think were possible because they thought they were junk and they threw them away, but they saw the potential, Barry and Jill have an eye to see potential where other people see trash. Haley and I have a farm table right now that was made out of old wood from a low water bridge in Kansas. Bear and Jill, their families connected to Kansas. Pastor Bear's mom and dad live there, so he often goes to Kansas and they find thrown away stuff on those old farms and they salvage what other people think is drunk. And part of that was that old low water bridge. They pursued it. They went to Kansas to go get whatever they might find. They rescued it. And I just had a thought, anytime you bring something from Kansas to Texas, it ought to be considered a rescue. And then, (laughs) just kidding, all of you Kansas folks, I, I just couldn't pass that up. So they pursue it, they rescue it, they restore it, and then they redeem it. We paid them for it. Somebody in Kansas threw it away, and the restorer got a hold of it, And then when he sold it to me, he redeemed it. He returned its worth and its value. That's what God does to us. Now, I will tell you that when Bear begins to pursue in an attempt to rescue and restore other things, he pilfers through other people's trash, and it can look pretty weird at times. He digs through what others have thrown out on the road, and he doesn't fix it there. He brings it to his place. He rescues it just like it is, broken, tattered, molded. It was somebody else's junk. And he's always, I mean, I can remember I I was driving, I was walking out of the church parking lot office onto the parking lot, and Bear comes through, and he says, hey, let me show you something. Look what I found. And I look over in his truck, and it looks to me like he's headed to the dump. 
And he said, look at this, look at this. And he's showing me all of that. He said, see that? I said, yeah, I see it. I just don't see what you see, but I'm glad you're excited about it. And he was excited about all this junk that he had found somewhere. Somebody was tearing something down. He takes it home. And it takes hours and days and weeks, but over time he sands away the pain, the misuse, the rust. He restores it. That takes time. He pieces it all back together. He reclaims it. He repurposes it. And when he finished, people stand in line to pay good money for what they wouldn't have given a plug nickel for months earlier. It's been salvaged. It's been redeemed. It now has worth. It always did in his eyes. It's just everyone else who thought it was junk. And you always had worth in God's eyes. It's just you and your own view of yourself or maybe other people's view. But God does to us what Bear and Jill do to furniture. He pursues us, he rescues us, he restores us, and he redeems us. Most of you are familiar with the story that I'm going to share, but I think you need to know an update. A few years ago, some of our staff were calling around in the attic in our original Third Street location. Pastor Bear was a part of that group. And they stumbled on an old buffet, this old piece of furniture that had been in the attic of our church there. It was rough. The legs were broken off, and some of the doors were off the tracks, and the hinges were rusted and fallen off. And everybody was trying to figure out how to get the attic out because we were trying to clean the attic out to make some space for more storage. It was an ugly piece of junk, and somebody had left there and forgotten in the attic of the church and the best we can tell by talking to different folks that it had been in the attic for over 60 years. Additions to the church had been added on to the point that when they tried to bring it out of the ceiling they had to disassemble part of the the opening in the ceiling in order to be able to get the buffet out of the ceiling and the intent was to take it to the trash but Bear saw it and said no that's beautiful. So here's what we did. A few Easter's back, we took Bear's ability to see the value in what others thought was trash and took this old buffet on a journey back to value and we paralleled the buffet story with the message of hope in the resurrection that Jesus can bring life to what is dead and decaying. Just to give you an update and reminder, watch this video of how that was found and restored. The salvaging of that old buffet is a picture of what Jesus does in us. He pursues us, he rescues us, he restores us, and ultimately he redeems us. Now let me give you an update. We held a silent auction for that restored buffet, and a winning bid would uh, purchase at at their bid price, and all of the proceeds would go to help pay for, we were in the construction of this building at that time, and we were gonna go to pay for the baptistry and the fountain that is out in the foyer of our building. The Asiatico family placed the winning bid for that just and, and, and just barely by a few dollars actually. In the last few years that buffet has been sitting in the foyer of their home. But it has been more than a beautiful picture and I'm gonna ask them to put that slide up if they will. This is what it looks like in the foyer of their home with their family's photographs on it. But it's been more than a piece of furniture the last few years. And I don't even know that they realized that it had been a prophetic picture of the restoration for their family. Some of you may have seen um, 
Brooke walking around with a teenage daughter that looks just like her uh, and wondered, how, I thought I knew them. I didn't know she had uh, a teenage daughter. Well, let me tell you the story. Amber uh, was a young lady in the foster system in Texas, had been in the system for a number of years, had a son named Bradley. Uh, there have been a lot of lawyers and caseworkers that have been working with Amber to find her forever family. And out of their own mouths, the judge, uh, the lawyer, I heard them say, caseworkers, Amber is the only one that believes she would have a forever family because they know the system. And the system says that when you reach the age 10, 11, and 12, the likelihood of you being adopted uh, is very difficult. And especially when you get to the age Amber was at 16. And so Amber and her attorney told me a little over a week ago that they were headed to San Antonio to try to find a girl's home for her so that she could be there until she aged out. And the age out issue in the foster system is a big deal. And we need to figure out a way to help. So Amber was about to age out. And on the way back from San Antonio, if I understand the story right, she told her attorney, I don't want to go there. I want, a, I want a family. It's hard for people that work in that profession to kill the hopes of a, of a young girl, but because she kept believing, they kept believing too. And she asked them to put her story on Facebook. And the attorney said, I never put a story on Facebook before of a kid that we're working with ever. I probably won't ever do it again, but they did this time. And one thing led to another. And Brooke showed up at a meeting she was not even supposed to be at and there the story was told to her of Amber and Bradley and their hearts had been moved recently toward adoption and they were about to go down another track and in God's sovereign plan he crossed the destinies of these two people and began to weave the fabric of their lives together and last Friday, not this Friday but March the 4th, several of us had the privilege of standing in the courtroom in Collin County when Amber was officially adopted into the Asiatico family and she gave them the privilege as a family of giving her a name. She wanted a new name and she wanted her family to name her. And they named her Tori and her name was officially changed on March the 4th, 2016 to Tori Amber Asiatico. And it reminded me, when you get a new covenant, you get a new name. He always gives you a new name when you make a new covenant. And today, I know the Asiatico family and Amber, they're in this service today. Here's a picture in the courtroom of the staff at that day of a new name and the official adoption. A piece of furniture that had been abandoned, forgotten, and neglected was pursued, rescued, restored, and redeemed, and been sitting in the foyer of this family as a prophetic picture of what God was about to do in a young lady's life, a young girl who had been abandoned, forgotten, and neglected, was pursued, rescued, restored, and redeemed into her forever family. And since then, she has met Jesus at the altars of this church and is scheduled to be baptized in the baptistry that her family bought the buffet with and the proceeds went to help pay for the baptistry that she will be baptized in. Tell me God's not good. That old piece of furniture and this young lady 
are beautiful pictures of the heart of God for you. I don't know where you find yourself today, what condition you're in, how much corrosion, sin, shame, guilt, how many layers there are, but he deeply, deeply loves you. And I hope you feel the tangible hope that is in this room today for your life, your dreams, your ministry, your marriage, whatever is decaying. Let me leave you with this promise where we started. Romans 8, 11, it stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does, as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. But listen to the next two verses. So don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent. There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go because you've been redeemed. There's new value, new purpose. I believe there's some people in this room that need to be delivered from the dead life. And that's what this is all about today. I'm going to ask you to stand with me all over this place if you would. Prayer team, would you make yourself available today to serve this congregation? And I'm just going to challenge you. I'm going to give a general appeal today because there could be so many people for so many reasons that identify with this message, with these stories. There are some of you in this room today that need a relationship with Jesus. For one reason or another, you've walked away or you've never given him a chance. And let me tell you, what you've rejected is religion. But there's more to Jesus than religion. There's more to Jesus than what you've rejected. And I challenge you to give Jesus a chance today. I'm not even asking you to give North Place Church a chance. I'm asking you to give Jesus a chance. If you're away from God, come home today. Let him salvage the broken parts of your life. There are others of you today who would declare that you're Christ followers, but there are pieces and parts of your life that are dead or dying or decaying. There is an empty tomb today, and the promise of Romans 8 and 11 is the same power and force, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in this room to quicken that dead dying marriage, that dead decaying business, that dead decaying ministry, that part of you, that dream that has been dead or dying, there is a power through the Spirit of God to quicken that and bring hope and joy and laughter and love again. All of that can happen. You can live again today. And I would just, you know, I know we pray at the end of every service, but I just think there's some potential, a prophetic potential in this moment. And I don't want you to rush out of this room and miss the miracle that God has for you today. The song said it years ago, Bill Gaither wrote it, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. There's power available to you because the tomb is empty. Father, would you let Easter resurrection power be in this room today, right now, And for those that have courage to to acknowledge, I'm being pursued by God, I've been rescued by God, or I need to be. 
Others of us need to continue through the restoration process, the redeeming process. Lord, would you pursue, rescue, restore, and redeem the dead, dying, decaying parts of our life, whether it's relational, emotional, spiritual. Move mountains today, we pray. Father, will you bless them and keep them? Will you make your face shine down upon them? Will you be gracious to them and turn your countenance their direction and give them peace? In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to keep the environment worshipful and encourage you. Don't miss the miracle waiting on you at this altar this morning. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from North Place Church. Feel free to duplicate or to share this message. For more information about North Place Church, visit northplacechurch.com.